In this episode, we talk with Chris Knoll, who is a cybersecurity expert. Uh, the impetus for this talk was about the new Alberta AHS app for contact tracing, but we delve into other security concerns that every small business might face. It's a good hour of listening, and you'll learn quite a bit about how to protect your business and how to protect your own personal accounts from any kind of phishing scams or ransomware. Hi. How are you? Excellent. Very, well, very, very busy. Yeah, I bet. Thank you for taking the time to jump on with us because I know this is very kind of last minute. We kind of talked, started talking about it on Friday and then just decided to go and jump in with it today because it's really timely what we're talking about. I know that uh, um, security and online security is kind of your bread and butter, right? It is. So you work with, right now you work with mostly businesses or do you do personal uh, security? I'm sure you get asked by relatives and whatnot to take care of their Norton. Things have really expanded, never Norton, but <laughs> things have really expanded since the pandemic. Um, I used to have a cutoff of no less than 25 users and I was only doing annual contracts. And then during the pandemic, started getting more and more um, people asking for personal computers set up for their employees. Oh yeah. Even though most of my clients were all set up in February because we anticipated all this would happen. So okay. we had all the business continuity already on February and then we started doing all these little things. And so now we're doing all these personal computers and month to month contracts and things, which is actually a lot of fun. So it's mm -hmm. changed the business a lot, but now we have more capabilities. So the, in, in terms of like this, this movement through the pandemic, it wasn't that we were more at risk from scammers and viruses. It was just more opening up your, your business to maybe working from someone's home. So it's their home networks. And are they protected from people coming in and taking data? Is that kind of what you're protecting against? Um, kind of both actually. So um, in the month of March, the number of phishing attacks went up threefold. Really? Um, compared to February. So training became a really big issue and making sure that everyone's there. So we typically do phishing simulations anyhow. So a lot of people were ready, but just the volume was crazy. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing that we usually see around Christmas time as well. So okay. during the Christmas break and the summer break, a lot of kids don't have anything else to do. <laughs> so a lot of them go and spend their time attacking my clients. Okay. <laughs> so Actually, the volume we don't get them that often, but and we can usually sniff them out pretty quick. But boy, I think it was two weeks ago, a customer emailed and it said, you know, here's this information you need. And it was like a Microsoft uh, document link, right? And immediately I, I emailed him back and I said, oh, did you mean to send that to us? Because that's a little unusual. And he writes back and he says, yeah, no, that's for you. You just click on it. It'll take you right to the document. And I thought, okay, maybe it's some sort of RFP document where we have to go download blueprints or whatever. Hmm. And then the next screen, I had put my email in and a password, which of course I didn't have. So then I email him back and I'm like, hey, I don't have a password. And by the time I emailed him that, he was already sending out another email to everybody saying, don't open this attachment, change your passwords right now. And I was like, I have never like interacted with someone like that where they were actually replying as the business owner. That was kind of scary. And that's actually one of the big things we do with training is that we train people to make sure to use a different channel. So if they're using Microsoft Teams internally or whatever chat, we yeah. help them use that or to make a phone call. And I've been sending out a lot of emails actually saying, your boss is going to prefer to waste five seconds with you saying, yeah, I sent that, mm -hmm. than to have $5 million sent to someone in India. Yeah, no, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, security, it just it's getting more complex and it's getting, it, it just seems to be like 
you can, everywhere you go, you're at a security. Oh my gosh, the number of passwords, and then now you got to have an authenticator, and like it's just, it's just crazy. I wish we could just, you know, not have to deal with any of this, but I think it's with us forever, hey. And well, it's actually going away, which is kind of cool. What do you mean? It's, well, it's kind of annoying. I get asked every password day, which I think happens on January 28th or something. Um, everyone calls for you know my insight on passwords, okay. and I really want to say don't use passwords. So like I encourage people to use LastPass to manage their passwords. Yeah. So they don't have to remember the passwords. Yeah. But I'm really trying to transition as many people as possible away from passwords to using things like if they can biometrics or you know other factors. So that thing that's annoying where you have to enter your code from your phone or whatever. If some of those are remembered, we can actually put those on your computer and make it so passwords can go away. Hmm. And I think that's the holy grail. But I've always been saying that since around 2004 or five. <laughs> it's, I don't know if anybody's you know, listening. Actually, my I'm husband, a little too optimistic. My husband, his phone got uh, like his actual SIM card got stolen somehow, and they were mimicking it, and they were texting people, and they were trying to get enough information that they could get into some of his accounts. And it just so happened mm -hmm. that someone that they random texted knew him and like called him, and like he had to get a whole new phone because Telus couldn't stop it. Like it was crazy. And, and they were trying to access every account and every, you know, everything on his phone that they possibly could. And it's the first time we've kind of been exposed to that level of like personal security kind of, you know, on our phone situation, which is kind of what sparks kind of the conversation we're, we're about to have, which is uh, last weekend, the government released an app for contact tracing. And from what I can tell, there's a whole lot of misinformation going on about it, or is there? From your perspective, you know, where do you start with evaluating whether something like this is something you're willing to take a risk on? Well, my job is usually actually to evaluate these things and find all the problems with them. Okay. And this, of course, I do that naturally with this kind of thing too before I install it. And I looked at it and I, I really can't find anything wrong. Okay. Which is amazing. Like the only thing they might have done wrong is they prioritized privacy and following their own rules and reliability over adoption. And they rush it out now instead of three months from now when it would have worked better on iPhones. Mm. So like that's the huge scandal here is that the Alberta government released something as when it was actually effective instead of waiting three months or saying, we're gonna say screw what we said about privacy and reliability and take the easy way out. So. Like it's we've beautiful. seen some stuff out of like California and some modeling and things where they're actually using, like we've, we've seen the video where they showed the people that were on the beach and then where they went afterwards in Florida, right? To see where all their phones went. But that's not mm -hmm. that what this is. Exactly. And that's the funny thing about this is that all these other jurisdictions are using your GPS information. Right. And this doesn't touch that at all. And like I've even seen RNs and people who actually were part of designing parts of this um, posting things like it, you know, using terms like tracking your location. And that's not even part of this, not even capable of doing it. But one of the Android requirements when you use this kind of Bluetooth is to um, enable what they call fine um, granular location. Because okay. from Google's perspective, if you can scan all the Bluetooth stuff around you, then you might be able to figure out where they are relative to other people that they know the location of. But okay. they actually don't use GPS locations at all. And that's one of those permissions you have to give this kind of app, whether you use it or not. But it's not even a permission that's on the iPhone version, for example. So, oh, it, like, and they went so far with this, it's crazy. Like, um, when I was talking about violating privacy, uh, 
on iPhone, if you were put to put it in the background, which is the big problem with this, is actually be on your screen to work. Um, okay. If it went on the background, they'd only have 10 seconds to do anything with it before it went back to sleep. Okay. And the government said, you know, we're going to, or whoever designers were, said people have to be within two meters and for 15 minutes before it's recorded. So that's impossible in the background. And Bluetooth can go up to 100 meters. Typically, it's around 10 meters is the length. And they're using the signal strength to focus that down to two meters. So okay. it's like they've gone extreme levels to say, we're not going to track anything. We're not going to track even all the contacts you're around. You have to be around someone for a really long time before they're even going to put it in an entry on your phone. So, so like Facebook and Google. What would be the red flag that you'd be looking for? Like if you, when you started looking at this app, what, like were you looking for some sort of GPS? Like are you looking for when you install it and it says, uh, we request access to the following things? Are you looking at that list or how, how do you evaluate something like this? I look at what happens when it gets breached. So okay. whenever I do anything, I assume it's going to get breached. Okay. <laughs> and so that's where the design really matters. So I look at how little information they're storing. Okay. If they're keeping, you know, they're asking for my contact list so they can send invites, which is what's happening in a lot of American versions okay. and in Europe. You know, that's red flag. Do we really need that? No. Are they asking for all my information or the minimum? In this case, they're asking for a phone number. So my phone number is going into a hopefully encrypted database somewhere in the government of Alberta, which is under the government of Alberta's custody. It's not being hosted in the States or with Amazon or anything like that. Okay. It's in our own custody. So I care about the information. So I that's probably going to get, well, not probably, <laughs> it could get compromised. And that's both the biggest risk. All the other information is on my phone. And then the other side of it is how do they abstract it? So if they can say, I spent 15 minutes with Jennifer yesterday and today and three days ago and whatever, that's something, right? But in this case, they don't have your phone number on my phone either. They change the code every so often that corresponds to who you are. So I couldn't even figure out who you are if I wanted to on my right. phone. And then it doesn't go to the government until they call me with my phone. They don't even know who I am, but they say, hi, uh, you were close to someone who was infected. Okay. And can you upload it? I have to go in, push the upload button, and then they get the information. So hmm. all this stuff is all on our individual phones. It's not in a big database that can get compromised. Right. Each of our phones would have to get hacked. And even then it wouldn't matter because the way I, my phone sees you and the way my wife's phone sees you would be totally different because the codes are different and it's a different time. Okay. So. Okay. So like the question here about privacy policy updates later in the future. So are you, are you basically saying that the privacy policy that they are following right now is pretty strict in terms of what they're collecting and what they can do with it? Like, I, like, you know, when you, when you say yes to these things, you always get this big, long, like little thing you right. have to scroll through whatever. Um, and you have to agree that they're whatever they're going to do with your data. So what you're saying though, is that, all they're collecting right now is your phone number, which is being encrypted, mm -hmm. right? And if like, I'm trying to understand how the app works, I guess a little bit. Maybe you know, maybe you can explain it better because I'm, so, I'm really trying to understand it. And stop me if I'm getting too technical because I was so excited to see how they did this, and probably <laughs> making me talk a little fast. But um, so the <laughs> privacy policy, we're so lucky to be in Alberta. Okay. So Alberta and back in BC. We were way ahead of the rest of the country when we were talking about privacy. We we're ahead of most of the world, frankly, as okay. far as privacy goes. So a lot of the things that we're all up in arms about Europe doing, Alberta already had in place. 
So that's a starting point. So the privacy policy is based on uh, Alberta's privacy regulations and the Health Information Act. And so the idea of it changing, that would actually take an act in legislature to make that change. So that's kind of cool by itself. Um, they have to have a right to be forgotten. So I can write to the um, Health Information Act help, help desk and say, I don't want you to have my information anymore. They have to delete it. Okay. They have to tell me what they know about me. Like there are all these really cool things that we have built here. And okay. so these are them following the law, <laughs> basically. It's kind of like how they say that we don't have any illegal hormones in our milk. It's the law. So okay. gotcha. Okay. So that's how that works. Okay. And the way that actually connects is I go to you, we send beacons out back and forth for Bluetooth. Okay. I'm using a headset um, right now. It does the same thing with my phone. Except this thing actually has my whole contact list in it. So it has more <laughs> permissions than this app does. Okay. And this thing is pulling every second. That doesn't. So like my earpiece has way more permissions. And so it goes back and forth and it says, oh, I connected with you. Here I am. And then it keeps on, it waits for 15 minutes and goes back and forth. And after 15 minutes, that says, okay, we're friends. We've been here long enough. Checks the signal strength, says, okay, we're close enough. And then it sends a token that represents my phone number that I assume is actually an encrypted key that works the clock plus my phone number, all these fun right. things that goes to you okay, um, as a one-time thing. And when I registered my phone number and I assume an encryption key got sent to a database within the government of Alberta. Right. And then if I get infected, then you push a button on your phone when they okay. call you, then you, they upload that and then they decrypt things and bring it all together. Okay, so if I get if I get a test positive, then I I have to activate the fact that I had this app, right? That then says here's the 15, 20, 50 people that your phone has said that you were more than 15 minutes within two meters of in the last whatever time period. Because I'm sure at a certain point it'll just just delete. Like it's not going to keep the the location data um, or like the GPS not GPS sorry the Bluetooth location after like two weeks, right? Like No, that's even way cooler. <laughs> I'm so excited. Like, how often do I get to say the government did something right or the I'm, app like, does the right thing? I'm not expecting this. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I've had so many media interviews where they use like three seconds of what I said because I'm yeah. so happy. It's I thought like, they're evil. Um, <laughs> so they retain it for 21 days. With okay. any application, retention is actually a key privacy thing. Right. And if you think like it takes about 14 days for you to, you know, make sure you get the right amount of symptoms and go to the hospital and stuff. Yeah. And then you might die after 21. Like 21 days is the minimum justifiable amount you could even think of having. I wouldn't do that. Like that's really kind of laws actually do that, but you could probably stretch it out. And they didn't even do that. They're mm -hmm. basically 21 is the minimum we can say. Mm -hmm. So that's where it's at. So okay. that's not there. And if say you're somewhere with someone you don't want to admit you're with, if they call you and say, hey, you showed up on someone else's app, do you want to upload your stuff? You can say no. Hmm. So it's not even like you opted in at the beginning and you don't have a choice. Right. You have to actually say, you know, I haven't done anything sketchy in the last 21 days, so I'm going to push the button. Okay, so then, okay, so I'm sick. I hit the button. It says, here's all the people. They call each one of those people once they decrypt the codes. Um, mm -hmm. And they say, hey, you, you might have been within two meters for 50 minutes or more of someone who's tested positive, we would like to, to you know, how are you feeling? Um, you know, have you been sick, blah, blah, blah. 
And then would you share your, um, like, would you hit the button to upload your data? And then if you were sick, would they then go into your phone calls or would they wait to know if you tested positive? I don't know that part. Okay. I don't All know right. the technical part. Okay. Well, I'm just thinking this through because every, like, I see two camps. I see the camp of support the government, contact tracing is super important, even if in the back of their mind they think they're giving up some sort of their privacy and freedoms. And then the other camp, which is never, you'll never ever download anything onto my phone like this. You know, like I, I don't really see too many people in the middle. So I'm just trying to understand, like, so right now the biggest risk you have is that your phone number is going to be encrypted in a database. And if that were to get compromised, you might end up getting contacted by someone through your phone number, which never happens. I never get any spam calls on my phone. <laughs> I'm sure that my phone is completely secure at this point, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, and in our phishing test, we actually have something called smishing now, where we do simulated SMS messages because they're so rampant that we have trained people on that. So, oh, okay. you know, and like there is an argument that you could make that the government probably knows my phone number from other stuff and they could correlate it. But Again, our privacy laws here say you can only use the information you collected it for the purposes you collected and yeah. said you collected it for. So plus, they can't do that. Anyone who's ever done anything with the government, though, like they know that we all know that one hand never knows what the other hand is doing. Mm -hmm. So the, like in a perfect world, sure, they'd be merging all this data and they'd be doing some AI stuff. And, but they're, they're not like they have so many silos, even within the CRA for crying out loud. like. Like, oh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm totally with you. <laughs> I mean, there are times when we think, yeah, Alberta, yeah, Canada, we're ahead of the curve. And then there's other times where it's like, are you still using a tablet with a chisel back there? Like, what's going on? <laughs> Although kudos, there has been some, you know, obviously there's been some hiccups, like the, the emergency benefit in Alberta, you couldn't get on to claim. So there's people that got declined but there's also a mass amount of people who couldn't even apply. So that was too bad. They missed that missed the mark on that one. But all of the federal government platforms, I have to say, I have not had a single problem either getting my codes or accessing it or applying for any of these programs, getting the money from the programs. Like mm -hmm. I've been slightly amazed actually at, at how well their infrastructure has worked, right? It's awesome planning. And actually that's a good thing about um, demand management too. With the federal programs, they said, this is the day of the week you're allowed to apply based yep. on your birth. Like, I don't know. There's a lot of really good things that have happened, and I want to be critical. Like, that's my job. I write audit reports to say you suck. <laughs> <laughs> I have really very little to complain about, and I'm so grateful to be here. Yeah. So you came from, well, not came from, you're Canadian, but you went to California and worked for some time down there. What do you see happening in the States that is uh, not, not what you would suggest would be a good move? Like, California in particular, like they seem to be using a lot of data management and like trying to track things, but like in a way different way. And it's communication, I think like, and it's also culture is a big thing. So I actually was talking to a bunch of friends a couple of days ago down there. And it's so weird because these are people who care about people. Like we were part of groups that brought books to schools and to home, like, you know, yeah. we actually try helping people. And these are the same people who are all up in arms with the government, you know, force them to stay home. Hmm. Where I think the Canadian culture is we're more neighborly and we want to help people. But I think it's kind of been explained here a little bit better that we're staying at home in order to keep the capacity management in our healthcare system in check. Hmm. And I don't know if it's really public around, but, you know, really Alberta's opening because we built that new thing at the Peter Lougheed Center that is going to increase our capacity 
you know, if we yeah. need it. And so I think we're like, we have the capacity now, we can open up, and that's why we're doing it. We're down there, it's like, you're taking away my freedom, you're taking away my rights, and I don't really know why, and I have to stay in. And then there's this other thing of, no, you can't open it up, because then all hell will break loose, because they don't understand that they're not doing this to get rid of the virus, they're doing it for capacity management. Right. And, yeah, know. I think that's definitely that messaging had to change very quickly about um, the lockdown and the quarantine was not going to eliminate it. But I still think even here, people don't quite understand that capacity management side of it. Yeah. And I think maybe that's also like, it'd be nice if they kind of even put that into their statistics a little bit on their, their reports, right? If you say we have 84 hospitalizations and 20 people in the ICU, if you have 20 ICU beds, that's bad. But if you have 2,000 ICU beds, that's that's okay, right? As much as we don't want anyone to get sick mm -hmm. to the point where they have to be in the ICU. But again, like you, we can't, there has to be a balance. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that they've actually managed to balance some of this technology and the security side as well as they have, and as quickly as they have. Because would you think they started this from scratch or did they build this off of existing code and technology? They took it from the version in Singapore. So okay. Australia built off Singapore first. Okay. And then we took similar thing as well. Well, Deloitte and folks, I didn't, I wasn't actually part of it. Daniel <laughs> <laughs> uh, Burton's, uh -huh. um, you know, start building off. But we also, I think, also lock things down a lot more than what they did too. So uh, New Zealand, I think, also had, I can't remember if it was New Zealand or Australia, um, took and they kind of made some changes to the iPhone one and did that compromise of, yeah, we care about privacy, but not enough to reduce the adoption. Mm -hmm. okay. where we kind of held our ground, I think, and said, this is what the spec said, and this is what we're going to do. Yeah. So, so, I mean, if somebody is self-isolating and, and working from home and not going out, like really, there's kind of not a lot of need for them to download an app like this, right? But if you're leaving the house to work, leaving the house to shop, even if it's just once a week, it, it's, it, how does it help? society, I guess, is my next question. Like, what's it going to do for us long term to be able to, to run like, because we're gonna have to run this for a while until there's a cure yeah. slash vaccine. <laughs> like, really, we're not talking 60 days, we're talking you need this on your phone for the next probably 18 months, right? Right. And I'm one of those critical job people doing cybersecurity. And so I do visit clients once in a while, I wear a mask and everything else. But if you think like I was at an office today for about a half hour. Mm -hmm. So if I had an iPhone, I'd make sure it was running in the foreground so I could see it. So if anybody there had problems, I would know to protect my family, but also oh, protect all the other clients. I mean, I have clients in primary care networks and clinics yeah. and, you know, my job is to protect them and make sure that they have reliable systems and that right. they have reliable staff. And so if I'm infecting them, that's not cool. Right. No, that makes sense. So what I guess now I kind of understand it. So if I have an Android phone and I download this, it's going to run in the background. I don't have to do anything. But if I'm an iPhone, I would have to literally turn it on so that it's on. It's running active. I couldn't be on Facebook and expect this app to be working is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. And if you okay. put it in the background, like you swap apps and it goes yeah. in the background, yeah. um, any foreground app, which is what this is, will suspend itself eventually. Okay. And that's part of the reason why they decided to do it this way is even if you have a background app and it's doing Bluetooth stuff, the battery management can kind of kill it without any kind of warnings. So the pinging that I was talking about when they talk to each other mm -hmm. and it running, all these things are really unpredictable for background right. apps yeah. where they're very predictable for the foreground. So if you're going to the grocery store, 
Turn makes sense. Just turn on if you're going to visit a client. Turn it on if you're having socially distanced beers with a neighbor. You know, it yeah. just makes sense. So, have you downloaded it for your device? I did. Like, I I have a little bit of a trust issue, I guess, also with Alberta Health. They used to be one of the auditees that I audited every year on a few different systems when I was with the Auditor General. Okay. And I know the people there, and you know, their policies are actually a lot stricter than the security policies that the rest of government Alberta uses. Okay. And so I was thinking, well, I know what their requirements are. I've been doing all the Health Information Act stuff. Yeah. Dr. Hinshaw mentioned it. I read the specs. I was like, it's a no-brainer. Okay. I have a duty to do it, if nothing else. Okay. Well, if a cybersecurity expert is not scared of the security risks that it uh, it gives us, then maybe that gives the rest of us a little, uh, I guess, confidence in it, perhaps? I hope so. I'm paranoid for a living, so. You know. <laughs> I guess, hey, paranoid. You should put that on your business card, Chris Noel, paranoid for a living. I love it. <laughs> it's if I have a hard time describing what I do, actually, that's how my wife describes my job. <laughs> I think that's, that's actually pretty cool. I like that. So if somebody wants to ask you questions or reach out to you about the kind of cybersecurity stuff that you do, how would they do that? The easiest is through our company website, 3shield.ca, T-H-R-E-S-H-I-L-D.ca. Mm -hmm. And there's a contact form there, and there's a chat on as well. It's mm -hmm. not always on because we're kind of running around crazy, but um, it's a great way of getting in touch. And I'm available even though I'm going crazy right now. So basically, someone can pay you to try to breach their fortress of security, and then you'll tell them how to fix that. Is that kind of? That's what my day job is. Okay. Um, and it's funny, actually, that usually we do that in Q4 and at the end of Q3. Okay. is when we do vulnerability assessments. But I think a lot of businesses right now are starting to understand business continuity. And they're really starting to think, you know, how do I keep my company working? They've made their people work at home and stuff. Yeah. And so now we're getting all these vulnerability assessments in April and May okay. that usually we don't get till October. So huh. it's, are your are your family and friends or the people, the colleagues in California, are they kind of jealous that uh, about, you know, the fact that you're here and, and we're doing objectively so much better in so many different ways or they they wish they were here i use the word system in a comment thread today and um people are like oh you're so lucky your government has systems you're not just going around but like oh, no. it's but it's really a communication issue i think like i can't imagine that their government is really this screwed up okay it's you know but they're projecting that image that yeah. it's politicians running the show instead of chief medical officers yeah. And we're so lucky to have people who actually care about data and care about processes. Gotcha. And I think also we feel that everything we're doing is out of love for neighbors. Hmm. Like yeah. my neighborhood Facebook group is beautiful right now. Hmm. Um, and like even the joining communities, I'm part of the whole um, riding basically. So all the communities around me, I know. And, you know, three houses or two houses once the duplex burnt down. And everybody in all these communities are all getting together to support. And that's really what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. And that's how we see distancing and supporting all these efforts. Hmm. No, that's awesome. I mean, Calgary is a big city. And it's nice to know that the communities really do act like little communities. Because sometimes when you think big city, you think, oh, everyone's just distant and doing their own thing, right? Yeah, not at all. So before we're done here, let me ask you this. Are there any security risks of some of the apps that a lot of people um, use every day that maybe they're not considering that they should look at? <laughs> yeah, it makes me laugh. So everyone's like, oh God, the government's tracking me. 
Yeah. You can go onto Facebook. Actually, if you go to 3shield.ca on the blog, yeah. um, there's a whole article about this app um, that I wrote, very details. Okay. And I have links in there actually to see where Facebook knows every movement they make through the day. There's uh -huh. a link to, and turn it off, of course, if you want. Um, and Google, to where Google knows everything you do every single day. Okay. Like, and we have no problem that with that, right? Nobody like, cares about it. Nobody cares, but as soon as it's And I actually it. use it for my billing because I <laughs> have to charge my mileage. And yeah. so I go to Google and I'm like, oh, Google knows I visited these clients today. <laughs> so I can do it. But, um, you know, there's another article that have for uh, multi-factor authentication, which I know is annoying for people having to enter that code from your apps. Mm -hmm. um, but it makes life so much easier. Whenever people talk about, oh, my email was hacked, mm -hmm. first thing I ask is, do you have multi-factor authentication turned on or you just use a password? Right. And it's three clicks of your mouse yep. to set it up and to take a click of your picture. Um, yep. I really love LastPass. LastPass has yeah. an authenticator as well. Yeah. And it backs up the cloud as well, all secure. So LastPass can even access it. And, you know, it makes life so much easier. So what's it, is it better to use LastPass than say the Google Chrome password saver thing? I'll put it this way. When you install LastPass, uh -huh. it can import all those passwords from Chrome. Right. But, and, oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, okay, then. Like, it's just so it's, easy. <laughs> it's better than nothing. Like, right. if you're using no password manager, your password is monkey dancing 453 on one site, maybe monkey dancing 453 Facebook, exclamation point on another one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so something is better than nothing. Yeah. But LastPass will make sure like, it can generate unique passwords for you for everywhere, and it also has a feature in it to um, do a security challenge. So it'll tell you if you reused a password on two websites. Okay. And when I'm trying to break into your company, which you know, I actually haven't tried breaking into your company, but when I'm trying to break into other people's companies, um, one thing I do is actually look for all the passwords that have been disclosed. So you. LinkedIn was breached years ago now, right. and I have all their passwords. Oh, God, so, I don't even think I've changed my LinkedIn password since the day I started that account. <laughs> you probably haven't, and you're probably using that same password on other systems, too. What? And, what? Sorry, I'm not, not calling you out, <laughs> but, you know, almost everybody is. And I can get into almost every company by just looking up their users and finding that password and entering it. Yeah. Um, and so LastPass will tell you, you used a pass. You haven't changed your password on this website since it was breached, yeah. and we now know it was breached. So maybe you want to change it now. So mm -hmm. all these little benefits really kick in instead of just trying to use random passwords. So not using passwords and just logging in once to LastPass with multi-factor authentication is, you know, it kills so many birds with one stone. And so, some is there any like popular apps or popular like things like Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram? Are they security risks for us in terms of someone will use that to get to our data? Like, you know, when you see people say, oh, don't answer this Facebook message, someone's duplicated my profile, and they're like, are they really able to get your personal information through that method? Or are there other more, is there other things we're doing that we don't even know that we're doing that are way more risky? There's a fun new movement, new, it's like five years old now, um, called open source information. Okay. And it's part of the whole hacking thing now where I can just type in your name and it'll give me all the information about you that I need to be able to send you a phishing email. So 
if you have anything that's publicly available and you haven't locked down your Facebook to friends only, mm-hmm. you haven't locked down your LinkedIn, you can't really lock it down completely. But if you have your current employer there, then it's very easy. And that's why we do so much phishing training. It's why we encourage people to put headers on the top of their emails to say, this email came from an external source or this one came from an internal source because you know colleges in Alberta, casinos, like all these businesses have lost millions of dollars in the last year because people were thinking an external email was an internal email. So all that stuff is super easy to come in, but not having an eye on it is also a big thing. Uh, And simple mistakes. Like I have a lawyer at a client who (laughs) accidentally sent an email, a cease and desist order to somebody using her Gmail account. Mm. And it's something simple, but (laughs) she exposed her Gmail account to this person and then that person used that Gmail, searched for disclosed passwords, found that she had reused the password on another website and then broke into her company account with that um, mm. email address and password, but using her company email address and that same password. So it's and super it's, easy if you don't keep an eye on it. And it's crazy because some people are doing it for the money and some people, like I had a friend who worked for a school division and they, they copycatted her email and were sending emails looking like they came from her but there was no financial gain for that. And it's it's just like you can't even begin to imagine why. So is email really the biggest risk in our day-to-day business activities, more so than logging into Facebook on your computer or like at work or any of those types of things? Do you think? That's a hard question because 91% of breaches involve phishing in some way. Okay. And so that's typically email. Okay. Um, and if you have a business and you're running it off of a gmail.com email address, mm-hmm. then you don't really have any control over it. If okay. you're doing it off of a mycompany.com, you can put records in the domain system that okay. like mycompanyname.com yeah. um, to restrict the systems you can send email from. And so that'll avoid these kind of people taking over your accounts. Interesting. So um, kind of like you could limit, it's like limiting the IP. So it can only be like in this, these types of computer or this computer in this location. Is that what you're saying? Right. Or this mail server. So oh, coming from office 365, for example, which has a lot of the stuff built in, but then the other side of this though, that I don't want to dismiss is like viruses, antivirus doesn't really stop viruses. Okay. And so when people call me to say that my company just got breached um, and has ransomware and I have to shut down for a week, which yeah. happens way too often, I always find they had antivirus and they had stuff, but they didn't have regular updates. And mm-hmm. so not having updates, having the same antivirus that came with your computer running, that actually makes your computer less secure. So if you had McAfee as a 30-day trial, that turned off the built-in antivirus that Microsoft gives you, okay. which is actually better than McAfee to start off with. Okay. But um, so now you're running with something that can only identify viruses that came out, say, a year ago when you bought your right. computer. Right. And it turned off the built-in one. And now you have ransomware coming in from all angles. And it was a recent one where um, actually it was on iPhones. So everyone's like, oh, my Apple's all yeah. secure. Yeah. Um, where if you download the wrong kind of image, that image can actually give all the information you need to be able to take over the device. So, you know, these things are actually quite common if you don't have someone really tracking to make sure that you, you weren't breached. So we do antivirus because if I don't, then, you know, I'll get fired. <laughs> so we do antivirus and ransomware protection, all that stuff. But we also have a system on that checks to see if there are any footholds on your computer that a hacker would have put in to keep access. 
So when ransomware comes in, they don't ransomware your computer right away. They typically wait a while to make sure that all your backups are infected and they get all the information they can off you first. And so that usually gives us enough time to be able to say, aha, we found something and clean it up before bad things actually happen. So if you're using cloud um, software, like for us, for example, everything's on the cloud. Where's mm -hmm. the risk there then? If they come mm -hmm. and take over my computer, I, like, do you know what I mean? Like they can't go and get my data that's in all these different locations, but what would be mm -hmm. the issue? So the first is key loggers is the obvious one. So if you don't have multi-factor authentication turned on and you reuse a password, I'm in your cloud application anyhow. Okay. If you don't have all the protections I just talked about, then I could install a keylogger on your computer and capture all your passwords as you enter them. Okay. If you have the wrong kind of vulnerabilities on the website, and unfortunately I still find them on a lot of websites um, for cloud applications, then I can get the cookie or the tokens that you have that say you're already logged in. And if I can access those on your computer, I don't need your password. Okay. And um, Sandra asked about uh, honeypots. What's that? that old school? Um, honeypots are when you set up a computer to for hackers to get access to. Okay. There's a really cool one right now called Canary. Um, I have some myself. It's how I know what's going on in the world. And I have a whole bunch of email addresses I kind of sprinkle out through the world as well to see what who gets compromised. Right. So uh, um, I found Equifax a year before they publicized it that mm -hmm. way. It was you know one of those fun things um, when their vendors got compromised. So you know there are benefits that way. But I think for individual companies, it's kind of a waste of money. The bigger benefit you have is setting up a security um, event and incident management system that'll log all your stuff. So you're talking about cloud apps. Um, those all have logs. Right. You'll probably never check them. No. Um, your Windows computer has logs. Probably never check it. Your firewall, your router, all these things. So all the stuff that's available for you to know, unless you're paying a team of three people a few hundred thousand dollars a year, you're never going to look at. And so you can actually automate this all into one system that'll gather all those logs. And then you can have another company, ours or anybody, um, monitoring it and saying, this looks weird. Right. So um, some of those stuff actually is built in now to Office 365 or Microsoft 365. Right. So I changed a month ago and I haven't changed the language yet. Yeah. Um, but to give you warnings that someone logged in from a weird place. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, how do you know this? Um, like, for example, it, told me that someone was trying to log in from China and Iran. They're mm -hmm. two of the fun new places. Um, well, China's always been. Nigeria anymore? <laughs> no, Nigeria, I actually like shout out to the Nigerians. I work with a lot of them. Um, a lot of Nigerian IT folks and bankers and auditors yeah. came to Canada a few years ago and they frankly are getting a hard time getting jobs um, because nobody trusts them. They People are frankly just lazy and don't right. want to do background checks in a different time zone. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I've worked with a few of them and like very well-trained people huh. that I've really enjoyed. And somehow having like one Canadian reference gets them another job after. So okay. if you can help out a new Canadian, yeah. you know, who doesn't have a domestic like you know, reference, yeah, it's helpful. So do you still recommend like let's say I have data on my computer, do you still recommend doing like a hard backup like on a drive and taking that drive like that used to be the way we would do it right at the end of the week or the end of the day we would sync that data we would take it home put it in our safe at home and have it there do you still recommend doing that it's a great way to waste the money if you want to spend your own bucks um like there are some cases for it so yeah. 
um, say you have a security system, like a physical security system. Yeah. And all you do is every couple months you hire someone new and you add a new person to that database. Mm -hmm. You don't really care about the logs as much in case, unless something bad happened, you know, something doesn't change that much, make a backup of it, you have it. But if you're backing up your server that way, then remember when I was talking about ransomware, how it really works, that say you have um, seven of those backups and you cycle them out through the week, the ransomware is not going to hit for a month. So oh. all of your backups are all compromised. Oh, okay. Um, a lot of people use a system called Veeam, which can be set up properly, but most of the ransomware clients I get use it. <laughs> so don't want you know, it can be set up right, but often it's not. Yeah. Um, and so the way that it often works is that someone has their backup server in their office, their computer gets ransomware, and most of the ransomware now will go and look for all the Veeam tokens that they use to log into the backup. Uh, okay. And so your backups get compromised. So the way that I look at backup isn't as backup. Like I think IT guys <laughs> look at backups as backups, copies, mm -hmm. um, like yeah. taking a tape or hard drive. Um, I look at backups as how often do you test it? Like it's more a condition of business continuity than disaster recovery in my mind. So it's mm -hmm. not about rebuilding. It's how can we keep the business going and avoid this altogether? So the way that I usually set up backups is Take an image of your computer every hour, copy it to a computer that's in your network or in the cloud, depending on how we, you know, things are set up. Um, and every hour I actually test it. I boot that image up and I make sure that all the services run, everything is there and it hasn't been ransomware yet. So I know within an hour if you're getting a ransomware attack. Okay. And then I duplicate that information to a data center in Calgary and a data center in Toronto. Right. That that device and your computer most importantly don't have access to. And so when you do get ransomware, first I get a notification. And if your whole network's all wiped out, then I can spin that up on that device or I can spin it up in the Calgary or Toronto data centers mm -hmm. and keep you running. So I don't even have to worry about rebuilding your computer. Right. I basically click three buttons, change yeah. a little bit of settings and your server's back running. It's just in a different place until we get it back to where it was. So that's the way I wish people would think about backups instead right. of case because the whole like ransomware has changed backups completely. It's not about floods and fires anymore. Yeah. It's now about where things are. And actually on that topic, um, I talked about this too long probably, but um, a lot of people think of Google Drive or Microsoft 365, Office 365 as being your backup. Right. And they are good. Like I've actually migrated a lot of file servers from people to Microsoft Teams because right. it's awesome. It's easy to use. I can have managers delegating permissions so people don't have to call me every time they hire someone. The manager yeah. can just change it themselves. It's beautiful. Um, but that gets ransomware too. Okay. Because you sync that to your computer and then your computer gets ransomware, that gets yeah. ransomware, everything gets deleted. And so backing that up, it can be like 50 bucks a month for a company of, I can't remember what the cutoff is, like 25 or 50 people. Like it's fairly inexpensive um, with the same kind of idea where you can actually see when files were changed and mm -hmm get it back without having to do a whole backup recovery kind oh. of thing. So many things, hey? Just try to keep life easy. <laughs> well, and I know that like some of these hackers only need to get one to make it worth their while, right? Like it, it really, they're, they're a, it's a numbers game for them. If you send out a million, you know, phishing emails and you get one back, it probably pays for everything. Like it just, it's crazy to me the the volume that they do and you know 
and that this is what they devoted their life to because, you know, it's work too, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And those numbers are what you'd like to believe they are. Uh -huh. um, I do phishing tests for as part of vulnerability assessments and when I take on a new client, yeah. and about a third of them click it. Really? So that's how many of your employees will likely do it. And over 10%, use about 15% will actually give me their Windows or Office 65 or Google passwords. What? So, yeah. Oh my so goodness. My goal is to bring that down to about 2% within a year um, of people who click at, from 33%. At least that brings the risk profile down. Absolutely. And that gets combined with all the other stuff we put on top. Right. Wow, that's a lot. So, so you you can train staff. You you do like training, obviously, because that's got to be part of it. It's not just about. It's like detecting a, the sniff test, right? It's like, hmm, that seems weird. Maybe I shouldn't click it, right? I do fishing derbies for clients too, where kind of like do it as a competition. Oh. Um, so we install a little tool into your Outlook or Gmail or whatever you're using, yeah. so you can report if you have a suspicious email, and it builds up yeah. good practice. So if something's a little bit funny. Then you'll send it to us, we'll analyze it and yeah. let you know. But if it's a fake one that we sent to you, then you get immediate feedback saying, congratulations, you're helping your company be secure, you reported this. Oh, and oh. so I actually combined that with LastPass for companies that use the LastPass Enterprise, uh, which by the way, you can buy directly from LastPass. Like, I'm not selling it myself or anything. It's actually a really good system that I've been using since it was free. But it's, and it still is, you can still get a free version yeah. that I recommend to everybody too. Um, but with the enterprise one, I can see what your security scores were. Right. And you can link the um, private free version in with your enterprise one. So I'll never know that you have an account at Ashley Madison right. or wherever you have your accounts. Um, <laughs> like you can link that with one account, but your company never has access to that, which is a cool design. Um, so for the fishing derbies, I'll give prizes for people who got the security challenge and are using strong passwords, aren't reusing passwords. Mm -hmm. and click the fewest phishing links and then do a draw for some company swag or something. Oh, nice. and okay. It's a positive feedback. I don't like being the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Wow, well, you have lots to think about. So um, so again, your website is what, uh, 3Shield? Yeah, 3Shield.ca. Yeah, so you can take a look and, and read some of your, you posted a blog recently about the iPhone situation with this uh, Alberta Health app. So. Um, it's good for you to give us this feedback from your perspective, and please uh, let us know if you do manage to break it, um, and uh, if you change your mind about it, you'll let us I know. I will. I'm really not optimistic. Like This is one of those things that... You can't find a way in. There's just not much bad, so... Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. I like the being the skeptic, paranoid person. I don't like that feeling, but initially, you're just like, oh, they're tracking us, right? So I get it. But if you if you say that there's no risk, then maybe I'll go download it today. No, there's always risk. I'm well, sorry, there's no risk. So risk. someone might do it, but when it gets compromised, that's very little. So yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, um, we'll make sure we post the link to your uh, website on the chat here from the video. And uh, thank you so much for your time, Chris. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Okay, we gave you more than three seconds, like the media did. There you go. <laughs> well, at least like ten. I think it was actually ten seconds, and then they. Took away my face. <laughs> you're getting. You're starting to get like. Self, you're like, what is it? Something I is it how I look? Is it something? I'm I too happy? <laughs> you're too happy about this. I think that's the deal. Yeah. I think the fact that you're nerding out over it is hysterical. So I appreciate uh, that. Sorry, everyone has their own geek dubs, I guess. I love it. I think it's awesome. I'm glad that people like you exist. Honestly, so thank, thank you, you so much. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs>
Thank you for joining us for this episode of B2B Obsessed. We hope you enjoyed what you're listening to. And if so, please subscribe to this podcast channel to get notified every time we upload a new episode. Or if you'd like to watch some video, we have a channel on YouTube and we're constantly posting interviews there as well. One last thing, if you'd like to connect with other small business owners, go to Facebook and search Alberta Small Business Success and join our private Facebook group. That's where the action's happening. 